We are doing the final days of the Great Tribulation. This is the part where God's judgment becomes very quick. We know the timing in the sense that the things that are happening on earth are happening very fast. We're in Revelation chapter 16 at the very beginning of the chapter. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. And it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water. And they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. You can see from these plagues that the amount of time that mankind could withstand those is not very long. I mean, we can't go without water for very long, obviously. The implication is either these things happen just in the last week before Christ comes and before the Battle of Armageddon, or that these judgments happen for a few days and then subside. Okay, It doesn't say which one it is. But you know that all of these judgments happen very, they can't last very long or everybody would be dead. The Antichrist, you can see from the references to the Antichrist kingdom and to the people who are worshipping him, that he's reached the zenith of his power against God. And now think about it. The last couple of judgments, it specifically said men became angry at God, did not repent. Who do they associate with God? What is the physical representation of God on the, on the earth at that time? It's the Jews. It's Israel. All of the fury of the world turns to Israel because they are perceived as being responsible for this. Okay. Now, we know that this happens because of what is told next. In verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. So they're kings from the east and they're coming west. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, that was the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. 
for they are the spirits of demons performing signs, that's miracles, which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. So you see, Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet send out deluding spirits to the kings of the earth to tell the kings of the earth, look, you look at the miracles that we can do. We are invincible. Join with us and we will conquer this people and their God who are tormenting us. Look at the miracles that we can do. These kings of the earth come to war with God thinking, believing that they can win. This is the exact moment when all of the armies of, God, of, of the world are gathering towards Jerusalem. You can imagine the terror that strikes Israel and the people of Jerusalem when they see this coming. And at this very point in Revelation, the message that is given to John, look what it says. Verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. Who's coming quick like a thief? What? That's a little coded message in there. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus has given them a message at that very moment saying, when you see this sign, remember that I said I was coming like a thief. The world will not know that I am coming, but you will know. Because you know the signs. And they gathered these kings together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har Megiddon. Literally the hill of Megiddo. And you have a handout that's a picture of this exact place. As it exists today. You can see that it's a a big plain. There's a couple of pictures of it. If you look at your... Um, other handout, which is the topography of Israel. Uh, topography gives you an idea of the valley, hills and the valleys that, that are in the land. If you look up here by the Sea of Galilee, there's a valley that runs kind of um, diagonally called the Jezreel Valley. And there you see Megiddo. You see it? So in that valley, this is a picture of that valley. Okay. That's where, presumably... These armies of, are gathering. Now, if you look to where Jerusalem is, look down to the Dead Sea, and you'll see Jerusalem just to the west of the upper end of the Dead Sea. Okay. Now, there are mountains in between Jezreel Valley and Jerusalem. Jerusalem itself is in a mountainous region. Okay. So that's not an easy walk from one to the other. It's not easy traveling. So it's roughly 60 miles, you know, some, somewhere around in that, in that vicinity. So you, there are a lot of people, scholars, who look at this verse and say, well, that's baloney. For one thing, all the armies of the world could never fit in that little 20-mile valley. Okay? That valley's only about 20 miles long. They say, look at all the mountains in between Megiddo and Jerusalem. There's no way somebody would gather in the Jezreel Valley in order to attack Jerusalem. Well, what I have to say to that is we don't know what the weapons of war will be like at that point. We also do not know what the topography of Israel will be like at that point. There will have by that time been a number of major earthquakes. 
So you really don't know. And so if I, I would not scoff too loudly at this. I think I would side with scripture <laughs> on this one as opposed to what people of the world would, would try to say right now. We do have some details from Daniel chapter 11, verse 44 and 45, about the Antichrist's final military movements. Now, remember, the prophecies in Daniel were very broad brush, very, not a lot of detail in them. So here's what he had to say about this time. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth, that's him is the Antichrist, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. So go back to your topography of Israel. If he pitches his tent at Megiddo, he is definitely between any of these three seas that, you know, these seas be it the Sea of Galilee or the Mediterranean and Jerusalem, which is where the holy mountain would be. All right. He's. It doesn't say which seas it's talking about, but, but obviously it's somewhere in this, in this vicinity. So that's Daniel confirming what we see in Revelation. The, the, and he's about to meet his end. So we're get, getting ready to get rid of the Antichrist. Now, the first thing to fall is his capital city, Babylon, which isn't anywhere on this map. It's way over to the east. Okay, it's not on this map. Look, turn to Revelation 18, because the first, the opening salvo is by God in this war. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality, which we read about last week. Now, this is the angel describing Babylon as attracting every kind of unclean spirit. And becoming a prison for them, kind of like we've studied about the abyss being, being a prison. It's, it's that evil. Her spiritual state is utterly fallen. He says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Well, obviously at this point, Babylon has not physically been destroyed. Okay, he's talking about her spiritual state. In fact, we know it's not physically destroyed because the very next thing he does is speak to the saints who are still in Babylon and call them out. He says, now is the time to leave. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has, been, as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and I am not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. 
Now, I told you last week that there are two whole chapters devoted to Babylon in Revelation, specifically to her fall. And if that's the case, we would expect to see quite a bit of prophecy in the Old Testament about that same event. These are all linked together. And sure enough, you do. Take a look at Isaiah 13, chapter 13. This is the oracle concerning Babylon that Isaiah saw. I, the Lord, have commanded my consecrated ones. I have even called my mighty warriors, my proudly exalting ones, to execute my anger. A sound of tumult on the mountains, like that of many people. A sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts is mustering the army for battle. You see, the Lord is mustering an earthly army of wicked men who are going to do his will. There, you know, even though all this bad stuff is happening, God is still in control. Look what it says. They are coming from a far country. From the farthest horizons, the Lord and his instruments of indignation to destroy the whole land. And it goes on then. There's a passage. The next bit talks about the day of the Lord. We know when that happens. That day of the Lord anchors it at the end times. That makes it an end time prophecy. Okay. So let's read what it says. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. And, and remember, he's specifically talking about Babylon and the punishment on Babylon. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud, and abase the haughtiness of ruthless. I will make mortal men scarcer than pure gold, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. And it will be that like a hunted gazelle or like sheep with none to gather them, they will each turn to his own people and each one flee to his own land. Anyone who is found will be thrust through and anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their little ones also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. You do not want to be in Babylon when this time comes. This tells us it's an end time prophecy. Now, look at the next verse because it talks about some of the armies that are going to be coming against Babylon. And who the instruments are that God is going to stir up. Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold. And their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. And Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. Nor will even the Arab pinch his tit there. Nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. But desert creatures will lie down there, and their houses will be full of owls. 
Ostriches also will live there, and shaggy goats will frolic there. Hyenas will howl in their fortified towers, and jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her fateful time also will come soon, and her days will not be prolonged. Verses in Revelation and also this passage in Isaiah make it clear that the destruction of Babylon is going to be like utter. There's an equally specific prophecy about it in Jeremiah 50 and 51 that we're going to kind of tiptoe through. We're going to skip around. So this is the word of the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, this time to Jeremiah, not to Isaiah. For a nation has come up against her out of the north. It will make her land an object of horror and there will be no inhabitant in it. For behold, I am going to arouse and bring up against Babylon a horde of great nations from the land of the north. And they will draw up their battle lines against her. From there she will be taken captive. Their arrows will be like an expert warrior who does not return empty handed. Chaldea will become plunder. All who plunder her will have enough, declares the Lord. Because of the indignation of the Lord, she will not be inhabited, but she will be completely desolate. Everyone who passes by Babylon will be horrified and will hiss because of all her wounds. Draw up your battle lines against Babylon on every side, all you who bend the bow. Shoot at her. Do not be sparing with your arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. The Lord has opened his armory and has brought forth the weapons of his indignation. For it is a work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Summon many against Babylon, all those who bend the bow. Encamp against her on every side. Let there be no escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all she has done. So do to her. For she has become arrogant against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. A drought on her waters, they will be dried up, for it is a land of idols, and they are mad over fearsome idols. Therefore, desert creatures will live there along with the jackals. The ostriches also will live in it, and it will never again be inhabited or dwelt in from generation to generation. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, no man will live there, nor will any son of man reside in it. Behold, a people is coming from the north, and a great nation and many kings will be aroused from the remote parts of the earth. They seize their bow and javelin. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses, marshaled like a man for the battle against you, O daughter of Babylon. Well, when all this is happening, the Antichrist has already mobilized his forces against Jerusalem. Remember, all these plagues and things that are happening are happening very quickly. So he's over here somewhere getting ready to attack Jerusalem. And he has gathered all of the armies that are at his disposal. Well, while he's here, over in Babylon, his capital city is being attacked. They're taking advantage of the fact that he's busy. And listen what it says. And we know this because of prophecy. The king of Babylon has heard the report about them and his hands hang limp. Distress gripped him. Agony like a woman in childbirth. At the shout, Babylon has been seized. The earth is shaken and an outcry is heard among the nations. Now I think I bolded that one verse because I want you to remember that verse. That when Babylon is seized, the earth is shaken and an outcry is heard among the nations. I will dispatch foreigners to Babylon so they may winnow her and may devastate her land. For on every side they will be oppressed, opposed to her in the day of her calamity. Babylon 
has been a golden cup in the hand of the Lord, intoxicating all the earth. The nations have drunk of her wine, and therefore the nations are going mad. Sharpen the arrows, fill the quivers. The Lord has aroused the spirit of the kings of the Medes. There again is the reference to the Medes. Because his purpose, this is the Lord's purpose, is against Babylon to destroy it. For it is the vengeance of the Lord, vengeance for his temple. Now because the Medes are mentioned in both of these prophecies, and because the ancient kingdom of Babylon was in fact conquered by the Medes and the Persians, many people believe that this prophecy has therefore already been fulfilled. I say there's no way it can already have been fulfilled because Babylon is still inhabited by men. It's right outside the city of Baghdad. It's a train stop. Now, granted, it's not palaces anymore. It's not the world capital. But I believe that time is still coming. I mean, we've seen so much prophecy about Babylon's participation in the end time events. So we know its final destruction doesn't happen till the end time. Therefore, we know that the Medes are part of these great armies that ultimately destroy Babylon at the end of time. O you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your end. Behold, I am coming against you, O destroying mountain, who destroys the whole earth, declares the Lord. We talked about mountains last week, remember? And how a mountain represents a kingdom. And how this the Lord is angry at this kingdom that has destroyed the whole earth. Whose kingdom has just destroyed the whole earth? The Antichrist. Okay? This is the judgment on the kingdom of the Antichrist. I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags. And I will make you a burnt out mountain. They will not take from you even a stone for a corner, nor a stone for foundations, but you will be desolate forever, declares the Lord. Lift up a signal in the land, blow a trumpet among the nations, consecrate the nations against her, appoint a marshal against her, bring up the horses like bristly locusts, consecrate the nations against her, the kings of the Medes, their governors and all their prefects and every land of their dominion. I'm wondering if the Medes are one of the ten kingdoms. Because apparently at this time they have a number of lands under their dominion and are able to gather a vast army against Babylon. The Persians, Medes and the Persians. The, basically the Iranians okay, at that point. If under current geography and nomenclature, okay. Um, as Babylon comes under the attack, the Antichrist is given regular updates about what's going on. Look what it says. One courier runs to meet another and one messenger to meet another to tell the king of Babylon that his city has been captured from end to end. Therefore, behold, days are coming when I will punish the idols of Babylon and her whole land will be put to shame and all her slain will fall in her midst. Then heaven and earth and all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon. For the destroyers will come to her from the north, declares the Lord. Indeed, Babylon is to fall for the slain of Israel. As also for Babylon, the slain of all the earth have fallen. Okay. So remember, we talked about the fact that it's probably from Babylon that the laws and decrees go out for anybody who doesn't worship the beast to be killed. 
The Lord is not going to let that go on for very long. Go back to Revelation 16, verse 17. Lots of scripture today. It pretty much tells its own story. Revelation 16, verse 17. Then the seventh angel, this is the last angel of the last plague, poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as has, there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. That, it was a huge widespread earthquake. Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail and because its plague was extremely severe. Remember that verse that was bolded that I told you to remember? What did it say? At the shout, Babylon has been seized, the earth is shaken, and an outcry is heard among the nations. All of these prophecies are 100% consistent between the Old Testament and the New Testament about what's going to happen. And the fact you can see, obviously, this has not been fulfilled. Obviously. Yet. It will. So now, look at what it says. Go over to Revelation 18. Revelation kind of skips around. We're following the story of Babylon right now. Revelation 18, verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will lament and weep over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. They're, they're going to have to be far away just to avoid the hailstone and the earthquake. But they can see in a distance her burning. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of wood and ivory and Article made from costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and on and on and on and everything you can ever imagine. Babylon is the center of commerce, remember? And these merchants are standing out there weeping because in one hour, their wealth and all hope of future wealth has been utterly destroyed by God. The merchants of these things who became rich from her, will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city, she who is clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw Excuse me, the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, the great city, in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, 
for in one hour she has been laid waste. Now, that's the picture of the world. Look what's picture in heaven at this point. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. This is the delayed judgment that the martyrs under the altar were begging for. Their vengeance for the lives of the martyrs. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. When Jeremiah, we read a long section, pieces from Jeremiah's prophecy about the destruction of Babylon. When Jeremiah wrote that down on a scroll back in the days of the captivity of his people, he, he wrote it down and had it sent to the king of Babylon to be read to the king and to the people of Babylon prophesying their ultimate doom. And at the end of the reading, Jeremiah gave this to this guy named Sarai. He said, when you're finished reading, here's what I want you to do. Look at Jeremiah 51, 63. Well, 61. We'll start there. Then Jeremiah said to Sarai, as soon as you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words aloud and say, you, O Lord, have promised concerning this place to cut it off so there will be nothing dwelling in it, whether man or beast, but it will be a perpetual desolation. And as soon as you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates and say, Just so shall Babylon sink down and not rise again because of the calamity I am going to bring upon her and they will become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. That exact symbolism of the angel picking up the millstone in heaven and throwing it into the water and saying, thus will Babylon sink. That's the exact same imagery the Lord told Jeremiah to use in front of the king of Babylon and its people so that they understand how utterly they're going to be destroyed. At the destruction of Babylon, all of heaven rejoices. Skip forward to Revelation 19.1. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot. Remember, that's Babylon from a spiritual point of view. He has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Well, meanwhile, 
over in the promised land, the Antichrist and the forces gathered with him have begun their attack on Jerusalem. And at first, it looks like the Antichrist is going to win because Jerusalem is captured. Look at Zechariah 14, verse 2. Zechariah gives a, a description of this battle. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured. The houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. So the city is captured, half the people are exiled, half the people are staying. So this is occurring over some period of time here. Joel also gives us a description of this great army and the terror that it strikes in Israel. Look at um, Joel 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness as the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it, to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Can you imagine the terror of in Israel, in Jerusalem, as this army advances? Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for a battle. Before them, the people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers. They each march in line, nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march, everyone in his path. You begin to wonder... Is this an army of robots? They march everyone in his path. When they burst through defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses and they enter through the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed very great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Go down to Joel um, 2, verse 12. Even at this last second, God is a God of mercy. Yet even now, declares the Lord return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart not your clothes now return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil the Lord says you who are in Jerusalem and in Israel look at me I am your salvation The Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied and full with them. I will never again make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove the northern army far from you. And remember where that army is coming from. It's coming from the north 
towards Jerusalem. I will drive it into a parched and desolate land and its vanguard into the eastern sea and its rear guard into the western sea. So at the point that you get to Jerusalem, the eastern sea is going to be the Dead Sea. The western sea is going to be the Mediterranean. Okay. And its stench, this is the army stench, will arise and its foul smell will come up for it has done great things. Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and my people will never be put to shame. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke, The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now go back to Revelation chapter 19, 11. This is where... Everybody's eyes are opened and they see the spiritual reality of the Lord of hosts. And I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We know from John who that is. That's Jesus. The very first verses of the Gospel of John tell us that the name of Jesus is the Word, the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. So that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So he's not just coming to do a flyby. He's coming to come and rule. He's going to conquer these nations. He's going to rule them. He's staying. Jesus is not coming and leaving. Jesus is coming to stay at this point. He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of the God of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the second coming of Christ. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in mid heaven. Come assemble for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Go to Zechariah 14. And we'll pick up in verse 3 with Zechariah's account of this battle. 
Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move to the north and the other half towards the south. Now, remember what we just read in Joel? where it says that the, the rear guard and the front guard of the armies of those kings is going to be spilled out into these two seas. Here in Revelation, I mean in Zechariah, we're hearing the same prophecy. There's going to be an earthquake and, the, and there's going to be a great big split right here. And mountains will move to the north and mountains will move to the south and there's going to be a big valley going between these Two seas at this point. You, people in Jerusalem, will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azal. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then, Lord, the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. You see, Jesus, as we just read in Revelation, is not coming by himself. He's bringing with him the saints, remember that, and, and remember, we're going to, in fact, read here in a second about the rapture, because this is when the rapture happens too. Go to Zechariah 12, uh, we'll start in verse 2, we'll skip around a little. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. So he's saying that when those kings come in siege, they're coming against all of Israel. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured because the Lord is going to strengthen Jerusalem. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider will with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah and I will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. So when the Lord comes, when he enters this battle, all of this military might of the nations goes completely haywire, goes berserk. It's not nothing's going to work anymore. This could as easily be fleshly horses as it could be electronic tanks and equipments that their programs go, you know, at that point. This is all spiritual language, but we know that the Lord utterly confounds his enemies at this point. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, the mighty warrior. And the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And in that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day, the Jews will finally get it. They will understand 
see and recognize not only that this is the Messiah, that this is their Messiah, which is pretty unmistakable, but that he is Jesus and none other than Jesus. In that day, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadadrimnon in the plain of Megiddo. This prophecy will be fulfilled at the second coming about the Jews recognizing him. And it is so important that it was repeated at the very beginning of Revelation. If we go back to the opening verse, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. This is what the book is about. Okay. is the revelation of Jesus Christ to all where everybody will see him. Now, what's going on with the saints? What's going on? You know, we know what's going on in Jerusalem. We know what happened to Babylon. What's going on with the saints? Most of whom are dead at this point, right? Most of us are dead. <laughs> if, if we hadn't already died from old age, we then died from being martyrs by this time. Okay? There's, there may be a few on earth, and there are going to be a few left on earth, because it says that a few will be saved. It's not going to be a lot of people. So let's see what happens. Go to Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. He has come. His reign is established. We are coronating our king here. This is a big, big deal. And heaven is rejoicing. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is when the marriage ceremony happens. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Because at this point, those righteous acts are finished. The wedding dress has been finished. The last lace has been sewed on. The last pearl of a martyr has been placed on the wedding dress of the bride. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And I fell down to worship him. And he said to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. I'm just an angel. You know, I'm just another brother. Just like those who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship only God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now skip down to 20, Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on the forehead are on their hand and they came to life and reigned with God with Christ for a thousand years the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed this is the first resurrection 
Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And this verse causes a lot of difference of interpretation among people in the Christian community. Some people believe that only the tribulation martyrs are resurrected at this point and only they reign with Christ for these thousand years. I disagree with that because I always take this New Testament prophecy and combine it with the rest of prophecy in New Testament and the prophecy in Old Testament about the same period of time. Okay, Because it gives you more information. So I want to take you through a couple of these other verses that tell you who else is resurrected at this point. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay? I take that to mean all the dead in Christ, not some of the dead in Christ. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So this is, this is when the rapture happens. Okay, God, Jesus comes. The dead in Christ all are resurrected when he comes. And everybody who's, already, or who's still alive goes to meet him in the sky With this great army. Look at Luke 21 verse 25. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. And on the earth dismay among nations. In perplexity at the roaring of the sea and at the waves. Men fainting with fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But you, when these things begin to take place and everybody else is cowering in fear and terror, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Isn't that awesome? So at this point, we have finished the Battle of Armageddon. The Antichrist has been utterly defeated. Jesus has come. Everybody's been resurrected. The saints have been, not the wicked dead, but the saints have been resurrected at this point. That's the first resurrection is when the saints are resurrected. And next week we're going to find out what happens during that thousand years that Christ and the saints reign on earth.